Um, we want to invite um, Charles and Deanne. I know you don't want to do this, but I don't care. Come on. <laughs> also, I want to ask our shepherds to come up as well. Um, and we just simply want to pray over you guys. Um, Deanne will let you give a long speech. And No, you don't have to say a thing. Just come right down here, please. We just simply want to surround you and pray over you as you head to Abilene. And we thank you so much for all that you have meant to this church family. Dear Father, thank you so much for these great friends, Charles and Deanne. They've meant so much to us here at Shiloh. And we've uh, just grown so close over these many years together. And um, it makes us sad to, to see them uh, leave and move. But we know that this new chapter in their life will be exciting and that others will get to know them and love them. And Father, we just pray that, that you would be them and be with them in this move, that, that uh, they will find uh, their spot in the church where they will be there. We know that they will be active in, in working with the church. Charles has such a love for uh, working with the, the homeless and those with addictions and problems, and he's such a fantastic teacher. And just pray that he will find a spot to to use these talents there in Abilene, and and Deanne will will find a great job there. She is so great with people and her nursing skills and helping them, uh, those that are sick. And just pray that you would open doors for them, and they will just see your hand moving uh, there in there in Abilene. And Father, we just uh, again thank you for their great love for you. Uh, we've enjoyed being with them through the good times, and we've worked through the hard times, and and we've just seen their faith and spirit strong through all these times and we just uh, love them so much and we just pray that you will will bless them and watch over them as during this move take care of them always in jesus name amen Charles and Deanne, thank you so much for being a part of our lives. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7 this morning. And I want to start kind of at the end of this story and work back through it. So starting in chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, 
he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. And if you've never heard this story before, you wonder, well, how did they get to this point? We're going to back up a little bit in the story to chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of the holy, of, of the grace of, excuse me, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people, the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses to testify. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that of the face of an angel. And what follows is a really long, long sermon or text by Stephen which makes it very difficult to preach. And so, please give a little bit of grace there, but I want to kind of boil it down to what he does in this sermon. He basically is going to answer two questions. Stephen, are you against, or are you speaking against the law, and are you speaking against the temple? Because all the accusations that come at him These are the two primary questions he's going to address. Are you speaking against the temple? Is the first one. Are you speaking against the temple? And he goes on to say, well, you you have these men who have obeyed the law. You have these men who have been a part of the temple. And so here's what their life looks like. You see, when you ask that question, are you speaking against the temple? One of the first things that he does is he points back to a guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham met God, and God called him, and he followed and went where God told him to go, and obeyed God, and he was going to receive these promises from God. 
he met God in the wilderness. And God sent him into the wilderness again. And then there was a guy named Moses, who he had placed in this prominent position in Pharaoh's household. And because of the choices he makes, he kills a man and ends up fleeing into the desert of Midian for 40 years. And it's in the desert that God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And God calls him back to Egypt to lead his people out of bondage and slavery towards the promised land. And then there are these patriarchs. These patriarchs that have been such a big part of the life and the story of Israel. And this story leads to a guy named Joseph who ends up being sold by his brothers into slavery and finds himself in this prominent position where he's knocked down and yet still God has a plan for him and wants to use him. And God meets him and ministers to him. There's a guy named David, this king, who uses his power and sins against God, and not only sins against God by sleeping with a woman who's not his wife, he compounds it by killing her husband. And God uses a prophet named Nathaniel, or Nathan, excuse me, to call him back to obedience. And these guys in this story have met God, and they meet God not in the temple, but in the everyday, ordinary flow of life. And then a guy named Solomon, David's son, comes along. And he builds a temple where the people are to come and worship God. But even once this temple is constructed... Isaiah 66 tells us, this is what the Lord said, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who humble with a humble Spirit and contrite heart who tremble at my word. So, the question are you speaking against the temple? For these people, this is where you met God, was the temple. It's where you came and God was there and you worshiped God there. You obeyed the rules, the, the, the law, and that is where you met God. Are you speaking against these things? And Stephen says, well, these men, they met God. But it wasn't necessarily in a temple. See, the temple was pointing to something else 
that would come later. And then there's the question, well, are you speaking against the law? Are you against the law that God gave Moses and has given to his people? Well, here's the deal. The only way to keep a law is to be obedient to the law. So on our cars, we have these little registration numbers and stickers in your front window that tell police officers, primarily, that you haven't registered your vehicle with the state of Texas. And mine was due in June. And so the 1st of July, I go to get it inspected. And the place that I go says, I'm sorry, but the state's department or the state department's computer system is down. You're going to have to come back at another time. And so I just moved it down my to-do list. Um, it's October. Um, <laughs> after I drove past a policeman turning a corner who noticed my sticker was out. And so I see the lights come on behind me, and right when I did, I knew exactly what I had done. I, I knew my registration sticker was out because I definitely wasn't speeding. If anything, I might have been going too slow. But he comes up and he says, Sir, do you know what the problem is or why I pulled you over? I think so. Yeah, your registration sticker is out. And I didn't really have an excuse other than, well, I tried to do it and then I just kind of forgot and got lost in life. And it didn't happen. He said, well, okay, I'm going to give you a warning. The, the thing they don't tell you real quick, just so you know, about the warning, is you still pay it. And even though the ticket gets dismissed, there's a $10 late fee that you pay and an additional $10 fee somewhere along the lines. So you get out of it for 20 bucks, But you have no excuse. This is the law. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't do it. The only way, and this is what Stephen's going to say, the only way to keep the law is to be obedient to it. The only way to be right with the law is to obey what it says. And here's the problem. The law is great. But under Moses, you didn't obey the law. Under David, you didn't obey the law. Amos says you didn't obey the law. The law is good. I'm not saying the law is bad. What I am saying is you don't keep the law. And you can't keep the law. And so if you want the law to be your savior, you have to be able to keep it perfectly. You see, the law and the temple were designed for a purpose. The law and the temple were designed to point people to the coming Messiah. But there was a problem. They missed it. I want you to watch this little test. This is an awareness test. 
How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? on Facebook a long time ago but in this this video what happens is they tell you to watch the team in white how many passes they make and they make 13 passes and as they're making these passes there is a man in a bear costume who moonwalks across the screen and back off of the screen but because you're watching and counting the passes of the team in white you miss the bear moonwalking across the screen. And almost everyone who ever watches this misses it. And the point of the video is simply this. You miss what you don't know you're supposed to be looking for. See, there's this objective they give. You count the number of passes. And as you're counting the passes, there's something else taking place on the screen. Go home and Google awareness test or moonwalking bear and it'll pop up. It's easy to see. But you miss the things that you aren't trying to look for. And as Stephen is talking in this sermon, this is basically what he says. He says, you're supposed to be looking for the Messiah but you're so focused on this system and you're so focused on the law that you missed the very thing they were both trying to point to. The temple and the law were here to point to Jesus. And He was here and you missed Him because you didn't realize that's what you were supposed to be looking for. See, it's possible to be so wrapped up in a system that the system becomes what you're trying to do rather than the one thing the system is trying to point you towards. You're obedient to the law or trying your best and you're focused on that, but the law was there to point you to Jesus. And you're here in the temple, and you're doing what you're supposed to do, but the temple was not so that you would fall into this system of temple worship. The temple was to point you to Jesus. And you missed the very thing you were supposed to be looking for see the temple and the law had a purpose but it wasn't merely obedience to them the purpose 
was to change your heart. And you missed the purpose because you were so focused on the system. See, for the Pharisees, for the Sanhedrin, for the religious leaders, the system that they created around the law, the system became their savior. Their trust was in the temple. And mastery of the law was their Messiah. You see, they missed it. It was right there in front of them for them to see and they missed it because they were focused on the wrong thing. My question, has you, have you ever been there before? Have you ever been so focused on a religious system and structure that you missed the Messiah? Have you ever been so focused on doing the right things and the perfect obedience that your behavior might have changed but your heart was completely unaffected? The hope so many times is that, well, our behavior is going to change, but that wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law and obedience wasn't to change the behavior of the people. It was to change their heart. Because on the other side of the heart change, the behavior is going to change as well. The obedience is going to follow the heart rather than the other way around. See, we want people to come and be obedient and hope that their heart's going to change. But God says, no, come, follow me. Give your heart to me. And your obedience will follow. Sometimes our focus is simply on the wrong thing. See, because we had this temple system and the law And God said, well, now that Jesus is here, the temple system, the law that we had, is no longer necessary. Because we have a new command. We have a new covenant. We have a new temple. And it's all pointed to and fulfilled and wrapped up in Jesus, God's Son. And it's so easy to get focused on obedience to the system that in our obedience to the system, we miss the Savior. We miss the Savior who is simply right in front of us. And so Stephen is begging and pleading with these people, saying it's not about the temple and it's not about the law, it's about Jesus. It's about this Jesus who you killed. It's about the Savior who was here. And we're going to start, we're going to read verse 51. He says, You stiff-necked people, 
your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but now have not obeyed it. You are so focused on the temple, and you are so focused on the law, you missed the one that they all pointed to. But here's the beauty of this story. And it's that God never stops pursuing His people. God never stops pursuing His people. He never gives up. And He never says, well, they're out of reach. But He continues to pursue them with all that He has. You think back to the garden. And in the garden, Adam and Eve sin, and they leave the garden. And there's this story right outside of the garden that takes place. And it's just a couple of short verses that we always gloss over and think, well, there's no big deal. And we've talked about it before, but it's the story of Enoch. And it says in there two times, it says, And Enoch walked with God. Now, I want you to understand the significance of that statement. Because the the place that man and woman walked with God was in the garden. And man and woman were cast out of the garden. And so for Enoch to walk with God, listen, one of two things had to happen. Either Enoch was allowed back inside the garden, or... God left the garden and came to walk with man. Then there's a story of Abraham. And it seemed like God's plan and promise was completely unattainable and unachievable. And a man at a hundred years old and his wife at 90 have their first child. This man who's going to be the father of the nations. And then there's Moses who's messed up and finds himself in the desert in Midian. And there as he's tending his sheep, God appears to him and says, Moses, I'm not done with you yet. You're going to go to Pharaoh. And Joseph, who's in slavery because of his brothers, has a moment at the end of the story where he's able to look at his brothers and say, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, in all of these stories where it looks like God has lost control, 
where it looks like God has lost his grip, where it looks like we don't know what's going to happen. God is still there pursuing his people. And then as you forward on to John, John says that God so loved the world. Not that God was so angry with the world. Not that God hated the world. Not that God was fed up with the world. But God so loved the world that He gave. He gave this incredible gift of His Son to give life to the people that He was going to continue to pursue. And Stephen, above everything else, is pointing and he's using the system, this temple system, and he's using the law, and he's using the patriarchs, and he's using these men and women of faith, and he's pointing to them, and he's saying, don't lose heart. Don't lose focus. All of them were here for one purpose, and that purpose was to point perfectly to Jesus, God's Son. Don't miss it. The law, the temple wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to point to Jesus. And there's always the possibility of getting so focused in the details that you miss the big picture that the details were pointing to in the first place. See, this is what Stephen did. Stephen did what we are trying to do as a church. Stephen was helping people see Jesus. When we talk about exalt Christ, encourage one another, and engage my neighbor... It's the very thing that Stephen's life was about. That he exalted Christ, surrendering his life, willing to serve him even to death. That he could engage those that he had an influence on. It is the very thing that we are trying to do as a church. Why do we exalt Christ? Because we want to see Jesus. Why don't we encourage one another because we want to help one another see Jesus? Why do we engage our neighbor? Because we want to help our neighbors to see Jesus. I mean, if you could boil this vision that we've been spending the last seven weeks talking about, if you could boil it down to one single phrase, I think it's simply this, we're trying to help people see Jesus. We're we're trying to help people see Jesus. And it's so easy to get lost in the details. And this is how you do church. And this is where you're supposed to be. And this is how you're supposed to do it. Listen. Listen. Above everything else, we are helping people see Jesus. Because the reason we do church... And the reason we worship is to help people see Jesus. As you wake up tomorrow and you go to work, 
That's what your purpose is. Is to help people see Jesus. As you meet as a group in our church, your, your ultimate purpose as that group is to help people see Jesus. Kids, as you go to school, your greatest purpose is not to learn about shapes that you'll never need to know about. Does anyone else know what a what, what was a hep heptagram? Hep, heptagon? Anyone, anyone else know what that is? Seven? Okay, a few of y'all. There was one that has eleven. I told Ryan, I said, congratulations, you're learning about something you're never going to need to know about. <laughs> My wife was mad. The, the purpose of all that we're doing, kids in school, that's where I was, yeah. Kids in school, your purpose is to help people see Jesus. See, here, here's the good news. Your job is not to get people to follow him. Your job is not to change their hearts because you can't do that. What you can do is you can point them to Jesus because we believe he can. You can't change anyone's heart. You can point them to the one who can. Your your goal, your mission, the reason you exist is to help people see Jesus. One of the things we start doing as a staff every Monday is telling stories of how we see God at work. And the reason we do that is because it is so easy for God to be at work and miss it. Because so many times, it's not in the big stories that we'll show you sometimes on a Sunday morning. It's in the little, ordinary, every day that God is showing up. And so we believe, we begin with the assumption that God is at work all around us. Our job is simply to notice it and help people see where He is. See, because we're joining with Him in His ministry. And you ask, well, why is this story of Stephen? Because Stephen is really just this short little section here in Acts. Why is this story so important? The end of Stephen's story is the beginning of a man named Paul's story. And I don't know where the writers of Acts get this story. But my best guess is from a guy named Paul. That it affected Paul so much that he said this story, this long sermon has to be passed on because it affected me so greatly. See, you never know 
what your part in the story is going to be. And you never know what is going to happen from the people you tell about Jesus. You have no way of knowing. No way of knowing what your story is going to do in someone else's life. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to end kind of like we did last week. But this time I want us to share this prayer together. It's the Lord's Prayer. And it's one of those things I want to become so ingrained in my life. So ingrained in how we live. That it becomes a part of who we are. And so let's bow our heads and we're going to pray this together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, we offer you that invitation this morning to come to Him, to die, to be buried, and to be raised into new life. If we could pray for you in any way, we're going to have shepherds and ministry staff around the back of the room. We would love to do whatever we can to help you during this time. So come while we stand and sing. We'll sing the wondrous story of the cross.